The music you just heard was created by Alex Mansour, who graduated from Notre Dame two years ago. He studied cello performance, film, theater, and television, and music composition. His work gathered enough notice that university officials asked him to create original music for different projects, ranging from athletic commercials to story podcasts like the one you're listening to now. The music adds emotion and drama tailored to the subject matter. His senior year, the Notre Dame Symphony Orchestra performed a 15-minute piece that he composed. Two years after Alex graduated, his younger sister Ronnie carved out her own musical path at Notre Dame. You can read more about their musical careers at our website, Notre Dame Stories. For this podcast, we'll let Alex score much of the story, but we'll also hear some of his sister's recent musical, An Old Family Recipe, which was performed and filmed last spring. It's a remarkable family, two siblings so musically talented that their classmates performed their original compositions in their respective senior years. And as show director Matthew Hawkins explains, Making a musical is no easy lift, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Musicals take years to develop. And that's a misconception I don't think people really understand. So she just didn't just sit this, write this out, and give it to me, and I directed it. This was years. We started, I don't know, two, three years ago with the idea. Before we dive into the musical, it would help to understand the Mansour siblings and how they came to Notre Dame. Coming from California... Neither had considered it until Alex competed in the Fischoff National Chamber Music Competition. It's a really prestigious um, event, and, and to be held at Notre Dame was, was awesome. And I fell in love with the Bartlett Performing Arts Center. It's just, it's just a gorgeous structure architecturally. The semifinals were in Destiny, and the finals were in late night. I just really loved that space. It was very impressive to a young person um, uh, who was thinking about where they wanted to go to college. Two years later, the O'Neill Hall of Music was also completed. Even though Ronnie didn't plan to follow her brother's footsteps, she also liked the idea of studying broadly rather than focusing only on cello performance. Notre Dame had just built this brand new music building. They were looking to expand the program, and the professors met with me one-on-one -on -one, uh, and said, you know, we're here to support you, and it was great to see that. Notre Dame, which is not a music school, was still taking music education very seriously. Um, and I felt like it was a place where I could study everything but still and, and pursue my music education. Alex and Ronnie grew up performing together, first for their parents and later in school and volunteer performances. Ronnie often sang while Alex played piano, but their versatility meant that they could also play cello or other instruments as well. The opportunity to have a musical sibling and being a musician myself, it's it's sort of like um, it's a bond that I, I haven't been able to find with anybody else. In that, like you know, twins say talk about having telepathy, and I feel like Alex and I sometimes have like a musical telepathy. We'll be in the car, and then all of a sudden, we both decide to do a harmony at the same time. We decide to do the exact same harmony, so they look at each other. Alex found a mentor at Notre Dame in John Liberatore. Alex could, could do anything, seemingly, when he got here. <laughs> I mean, that's not, that's not true. I mean, of course, there's still anybody can, you know, can, can grow in, in innumerable ways. I don't know. There, there's something about, about the Notre Dame curriculum that's kind of this sandbox, right? Like you don't just go down the chute and come out, uh, you know, really good cellist on the other side, right? Cello performance, okay, now I'm an even better cellist than when I started. 
Notre Dame curriculum is like this sandbox where you can, you know, say, well, I wonder, I wonder what's this way. I wonder what happens if I explore film studies or philosophy, whatever the case may be. I, I think he was exactly the kind of student that really relished in that kind of curriculum that was in some ways very customizable, but also offered him you know, guidance in, in kind of any direction that he might set out. The compositions Alex was doing attracted some notice and led to being hired to create original scores for fundraising materials. At Notre Dame, um, I was in this atmosphere where A, there weren't a ton of other people that were doing that kind of thing, and B, um, the uh, adults at Notre Dame, the powers that be, were looking around and, and always kind of open to pursuing something when it comes up. This is kind of one of the first times I was being hired as a professional um, and valued as a professional to compose music that was using the Notre Dame materials in a very cinematic uh, way, tailored to their images. Um, and that kind of thing slowly became um, uh, the Fighting Irish, um, the athletic team and music for the Jumbotron and the football kind of thing. And then later on, um, uh, some of the NBC 30 Second Spots. All of that was very empowering as a kind of professional thing, as, as real material, as things that I could show to people. And, you know, I scored a nationally broadcast commercial for one of the most recognizable academic brands in the country. It was a really cool thing to be able to add to the list. I would say this tour I wrote for Proving Innocence was one of my favorite of the podcast work I did with Notre Dame um, in that, um, A, the, sub the subject matter is so meaningful, um, but it also allowed for a kind of a piece of music that I really enjoy writing. It's very cinematic, very dramatic, uh, looking to legal dramas and um, House of Cards and uh, kind of this darker template. Um, and then coming up with variations of it that were warmer and um, more uh, hopeful and uplifting um, as the stories became more about the uh, wrongs being righted. studied abroad as a junior, he wrote the 15-minute tone poem that would be played by the school symphony the next year. It would also be the centerpiece of his application to a graduate program in scoring films. Likewise, Ronnie used her study abroad in Italy to develop her idea for an original musical. I had done Spring Awakening my freshman year uh, with Matt Hawkins, who uh, was the director and now is a professor of musical theater. I spent that summer between freshman and sophomore year at NYU doing a songwriting program. And he heard that I had been writing a lot through, I guess, colleagues or other professors. And he called me with me and said he listened to my stuff and basically said, you know, what do you want to do with this? And I said, I don't know. I'm confused and lost. He said, well, just know that if you ever want to do a project with FTT, you know, with anything like this, you know, we'll support you. And I said, whoa, okay, so maybe I should do something big. She knew she wanted to write a musical, 
and she figured the time in Italy would give that theme some authenticity. She still needed to figure out what she wanted to say. And then I thought, you know, what's something that I really care about? Because those were conversations that I had with Matt early on. He said, whatever you write about, it has to be something that's very close to your heart so that you can offer something very personal and unique. And um, I knew immediately that I wanted to write about something that had to do with mental health. I have just struggled with uh, my own mental health my whole life. And because my mom's a therapist, it's been like a huge part of my upbringing and, and talking about those things. Um, and then, you know, coming to college as well, um, I most of my friends were having something come up in which they were struggling with some sort of anxiety, um, some sort of issue with depression, some sort of something on the mental health kind of spectrum and felt like either they couldn't talk about it or they struggled to talk about it. Um, and so I was really interested in using my gifts to sort of be able to put this uncomfortable subject on stage. And I think Ronnie had something to say too with looking at mental health and how um, how one has to, how that has to coincide with a young person and trying to have a day to day life and have a job and have relationships and and how everyone is especially coming out of the pandemic how there's been a real light on our mental and emotional health and how we're having to manage everything. Ronnie wasn't sure how to start, so she decided to write a short story and go from there. I thought if I ever wanted to get it done, if I ever wanted to get anything on paper about it, I needed to just sit down and write something with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, and it didn't have to be good, and it didn't have to make a ton of sense, but just staring at a blank page was the most daunting thing you can imagine. So I did end up writing it. Um, and then basically from there, I started adapting it into a play. So I had never written a play before. So it was actually, I don't know if this is, you know, the correct way to do it, but it was nice to be able to take some of the like internal thoughts of the narrator and turn those into stage directions or turn the, the actual dialogue between the characters in the short story became a lot of the dialogue in the show. So then I had, I had, you know, a draft of a play and from there, it was much easier to identify the holes um, and exactly what was or wasn't making sense about the plot. And then writing the music sort of came simultaneously. Um, I would just write a song based on one scene. Uh, and then, obviously, throughout the process, some songs started to make less sense than they did before. I had to cut a few songs. Um, I had to rewrite lyrics on a lot of songs where I thought, okay, this melody works, but this character doesn't even exist anymore or this character isn't like this and would never say those things. Um, so over the three years that I spent working on the project, really, it was, it was write the short fiction, write the play, write the music, and then fix, 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 fix all along there. Hawkins created a fall semester class to workshop the script, just like a professional theater would. to hear from 25 other voices saying, what about this character, or did you miss that, or, you know, in the most uh, constructive way and, and kind way possible, I think that's why everything was really able to come together in a cohesive way, is because we had all these different voices trying to help to create a, a product that made sense. I want to work with you, Carter, I want to work with you. When you're in a poetry class or a fiction writing class or anything like that, everybody in the class gets workshopped, probably. You submit your work and everybody goes around and says something about it. But I'd never been 
the only person to get workshopped before, um, let alone the only person to get workshopped twice a week for 15 weeks or sometimes was really difficult. I was often feeling the pressure of needing to get rewrites done for the next class and feeling like, how can I respond to 20 different points of view? Or how can I fix what this person said? Because I know that they're right and I know it needs to get fixed, but my priority right now is about this song or this scene. I was feeling burnt out, but also so motivated because I did want to deliver, you know, for myself, but for my classmates and for my professor. And because I was excited that other people were excited about the project too, and that they cared enough to critique it. I want to work with you. I want to work with you. Travis. Tony, I want to work with you. Hawkins said the workshop led to all kinds of creative changes, especially because the pandemic forced the project to be filmed rather than performed in front of a live audience. It's very messy, and it should be. It's a very messy conversation. So that was the workshop class, is trying to fully develop it. And then as we went into rehearsal, we rehearsed probably, and this is what's weird about the filmic thing, right, is we rehearsed it as a theater piece, but then we shot it as a film, which means it was completely out of order. When she would do demos, it was just her on piano, and that was it. There was no other orchestration, and that just helps us figure out the story. And then right before we started shooting, she added a lot of other orchestration to one of those songs, and it felt very whimsical and jazzy. And I thought, oh, it's a jazz club. It's a nightclub, and, it's, and it feels like it's a nightmare. We were able to pull certain things off because this was on camera. Right? We were able to immediately go from one scene to the next and not have to worry about quick costume changes, right, or scene changes. We didn't have to do any of that because we did it all behind the scenes. While Ronnie loves to sing and act, she recognized the need for different roles. But it was sort of interesting in that the workshop class had people that ended up being cast in the show and also had people that uh, did not choose to audition or did not uh, were not cast. I, at first, really wanted to. Uh, that was an, a, a really early conversation that I had with the men. He said, it's not a good idea to even throw your hat in the ring because if you're the playwright, you need to be there. You know, if you're in it, then it just complicates the relationship between you and the other cast members and director and everything. Um, and I was bummed at first, and I thought, oh, but I... You know, I'd love to do that now and look back. Like, I could never have <laughs> done that just purely based on the workload that it was. I, I'm so happy that I was able to just step back and, and watch all of my friends be stars and, and do their thing. Tony, you think you would recognize your auntie. I still would love to do a lot of different things, uh, and I look at people, you know, like Sarah Morales and Lynn Manuel Miranda, who are sort of writing as well as being performers themselves, uh, and being able to kind of dip their toes in a lot of different uh, ponds. And I would just love to be able to do that. But writing for musical theater is probably the thing that has me the most excited that really lights a fire underneath me. 
that we know you're one of us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hawkins said that performing students' original work fits the goal of liberal arts at times we get to give a platform to young people so they get to put their story out there, and I think that's one thing. And then that's the educational side is you can then surround curriculum and training around new work. So I get to teach, yes, actors uh, how to be actors and how to connect to, to work and sing, but I can also... Um, cultivate choreographers, producers, uh, stage managers, designers, so it's a really hands-on experience for students to play active roles in new work, and the whole faculty has really gotten behind this idea, so because of Ronnie's experience and background as an English major and her music, a lot of our conversations were more holistic and humanistic. As a conservatory, you're so zoomed in on the process of an actor or creator, but when you're creating this kind of work, you need to know about human experiences. You need to know what it's like to um, experience grief and to have your grandmother pass away. We're not really doing art about art. We're doing art about life. And liberal arts is about life. You get the broader view. They always bring more to the table. Always. Uh, because they're interested in life and the human condition, and that's what they're gaining. And that's what I feel Notre Dame has, is putting a, you know, putting a lens on the entire human condition. When she doesn't know herself. We are Italians, no? We don't give up on familia. Look into our eyes We want to tell you lies Shouldn't it be enough That we know you're one of us Thanks for listening to this special episode. I'm Brendan O'Shaughnessy. We leave you with one more piece from Alex, our Notre Dame Stories outro music. 